Before I get into a few very important announcements this morning, I'd like to thank each and every one of you all for how good you have been to me and my family. You know that we just had our third child, Anna Lewis, and I'm not going to get into specifics, but thank you to each and every one. You've just been so kind uh, and the outflowing of love and support uh, and just appreciation from this church. I can't say uh, enough of, so thank you to each and every one um, for each and every word, every gift, and just all the kindness that you have shown to Chrissy and myself and our family. With that being said, the announcements I have listed here are really the upcoming pastoral candidate weekend, the end of the month. So I pray that you're as excited as my wife and Christy and all of us that we've talked about this past weekend. If you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Pastor Farrell and Shannon Galloway from uh, Jacksonville, Florida, uh, pastoral candidate weekend that will be in town uh, with us. And uh, I, I just challenge you to come out uh, and to get to know this couple between Farrell and Sharon and the kids. Um, they will be with us this entire weekend. We have, at the end of this month, several different things set aside for us to get to know them as a church, for them to get to know us, right? This is a two-way street, and so it's very important that you set aside this, this weekend upcoming, uh, October 27th through the 29th is the entire weekend. If you come to Friday Night Prayer, uh, if this is something that you're familiar with already, I challenge you to come out uh, and be a part of this special potluck at the end of the month. Of course, we always have the potluck Friday night. And if you have not been, it'd be a good time to come, right? So um, come, it's a 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock uh, time of prayer on Fridays. Typically, we, we break for communion a little bit early when we have the potluck. So 7.45, we'll begin to transition into that time. And it'll be a, it'll be a great time uh, together that Friday night. And then lunch the next day, Saturday noon, you can sign up for that in the foyer to make sure we have an appropriate amount of food. And then Sunday as well, right? Lots of food. <laughs> uh, lunch after church. So sign up again for that in the foyer if you'll be here this Sunday, uh, October 29th. I just challenge you to make as much of these opportunities this weekend that you can. Of course, you don't have to be here for all of it, but we do challenge you to do arrange your schedule to be as much as you're available to be here. And just to be able to get to know them, to ask questions, anything that may be a concern to you, uh, to get to know them during this special time. And then as well, there'll be a special business meeting regarding Farrell and Sherry and Galloway immediately following the lunch. Again, this is the Sunday, October 29th. So exciting times for our church, and I challenge you to, again, mark this down if you have anything else to be making special plans. And with that being said, would you welcome Pastor Larry for the word. I see many of you have already signed up in the sign-up uh, fellowship hall, I mean, in the foyer. Thank you for that. We just want to get an idea how much food to get, particularly when we're catering it Sunday. Uh, we're having a caterer bring that food in. Uh, we will have plenty of food, and we'll announce this, that, this, this, that Sunday that he's here. We don't want anyone not to come, maybe because they didn't sign up. There'll be plenty of food. Saturday's going to be a light, a very light lunch that we're going to do. Uh, so one of the things that we're going to do, I'm gonna, we're going to order some things from Chick-fil-A, but we're also going to do some macaroni and cheese. And so I'm going to ask four or five ladies uh, to see me or n make a notation on it. If you know you're coming Saturday, that will we'll buy it. It's going to be the frozen ones and that you will cook that and have it ready and bring it in on Saturday. Uh, so if you would be willing to do that, just see me or make a note where you signed up uh, for Saturday's luncheon. And we'll reach out to you and give you the details. A few, if you missed uh, a couple Wednesday nights ago when... Our missionary from Mexico was here, Chris Trueworthy. Boy, you really missed something. You did. And it, it, it reminded me of the importance of being in church. Now, you don't have to be in church every time the doors are open. I'm not in church every time the doors are open. 
But that was a Sunday, I mean a Wednesday, quite frankly, that if I had I not been the pastor of the church at the time, it, it might have been one of those Sundays, those Wednesdays, I'm sorry, that I would have said, you know, I'm tired, because I was. I don't feel like going. You been there? I, honestly, we, do, we get there, I don't feel like going. But much of what we do that's good for us, we do when we don't feel like doing it. And so, but I came, and sure am glad that I did. Because I felt a whole lot different when I left here than when I came here. Because he issued such a challenge to us and to me in particular. Because he challenged us on being a disciple of the Lord and then making disciples. That we're supposed to be, be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and really of someone. And we're to be making disciples. But that, that really wasn't what I needed to hear so much. He said that being a disciple, making disciples, living godly lives, all the things that we know we should do, they flow from an intimacy with Christ. And if you're out trying to do these things on your own, apart from intimacy with the Lord, it becomes a grind. There's no joy in it. And that, that can happen in the ministry. The Love Life guy often says that the Love Life ministry, and in a lot of ways the Christian ministry, is a ministry of rejection. How many people do you witness to? How many people in your family you want them to come to know the Lord and it just goes in one ear and right out the other? So where does the joy come from in it? It comes through the intimacy with Christ. And when you have, and I had not had as much of that as I should have. And when he was saying that and we had the altar time, I had to say, Lord, forgive me for allowing other things that are not that important to get into the way. Neglecting some of the things that produced a deeper intimacy. Oh, I still had my devotion time. I still had my worship time. But I wasn't conscious of my intimacy with the Lord. And then that night, though, it was just, it was so restored in me. And then, and then we had a great time of prayer uh, for people. And so, but so much of what he said was going to be so relevant to what I was going to preach about this morning from the book of James. And so, if you have your Bibles, if you have your iPads, or one of these days I'm going to ask everybody to bring a Bible, and we're going to hold them up. I, I still, I know I'm old, and I, I just like to read a book. I know our younger generation... Colin oftentimes gets Kindles and reads off Kindles, and I think some of you do. I just, I got to have a book. I like to highlight. He said, well, you can highlight on those too. Okay, well, I still like a book. But if you have, we're going to um, pick up in James chapter 4. I hope you're reading along with me. Five chapters in the book of James. We're going to be in it several weeks. I hope you read it multiple times. If statistics are right, and I think they are, most people who identify as believers, followers of Christ, really don't read their Bible. So this is a great way to read it together. And so I'm doing pretty much going uh, chapter by chapter and, and verse through verse. But James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, reads like this. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet it and cannot obtain you fight and war 
yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the anointing. Lord, and I pray that that anointing remains here, Lord, as we study your word together, as it challenges our hearts. Lord, as your word searches the deeper things of our hearts. And Lord, may, I, may as this word goes forth, may it search the deeper things of the hearts and the hearers who are here. In Jesus' name. Amen. James, before I get into this text, to under, fully understand the context of this text, I think we have to go back to the last two verses in chapter 3. I think most of you will know this, but in case some of you don't, when the original scriptures were written, there were not chapter and verse breaks. It was just one letter. James was a pastor. He just wrote a letter. That's, that's what all the Bible was. It was letters, many of them written. Chapter and verse breaks, where the chapter breaks were added, they think somewhere around the 1100s and verses around the 1500s. So they had to find, uh, where's a good break? Where seems like a good break? But to fully understand the context of what I just read, I think we have to read the last two verses of chapter 3. Last time we looked at the book of James, we looked at the difference between godly wisdom and earthly wisdom. Godly wisdom and earthly wisdom. And in the last two verses of this, James gives a description of what godly wisdom looks like, or spiritual wisdom. He says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Next to our salvation, the greatest thing that you will ever experience in this world, in this life, is peace. It's peace. But we live in a world that is full of chaos, is full of anxiety. If statistics are right, and I believe they are, in a world where we're more socially connected than ever, people are more anxious and afraid than they've ever been. And there's a number of reasons for that. But the greatest thing we can experience is peace. And hopefully we can experience that peace to the level that we can become peacemakers. Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The word for peace, the Hebrew word for, for peace is shalom. There's just something peaceful about saying that word. Shalom. Say it with me. Shalom. 
See, in English, the word for peace is the absence of conflict or war. But that word means so much more in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word shalom means so much more than the absence of conflict. In Israel today, when you greet someone or say goodbye, you say shalom. I've had a chance to go to Israel. I can tell you that's true. They will say that a lot. Shalom, Larry. Shalom, shalom. They'll say it twice. What are they saying? Are they saying, don't get in a fuss today? Don't get in a fight today? I hope you're not in a war today? That's not what they're saying. You're literally saying, may you be full of well-being or may health and prosperity be upon you. The peace they're referring to is a peace, a total peace of your mind, your body, and your soul. It's total contentment. That's what that word shalom means. In modern Hebrew, another common greeting is mashalomka, which means how are you? Notice that the word shalom is there. Quite literally, you're asking, what is your completeness? Or how is your peace? It is yet another way to proclaim health and wholeness as you greet those around you. Notice what Jesus said when he first met his disciples after the resurrection. In both Luke 24 and John 20, he appears to his disciples. He's just been resurrected. In one of these accounts, they're locked behind a door, scared to death. Jesus appears to them. What's the first thing he says to them? Peace to you. Shalom to you. Remember, Jesus is a Hebrew-speaking Jewish rabbi. He speaks to Jewish disciples in Jerusalem. He probably would have smiled at his stunned friends. There they are. They're scared to death. They think Jesus is dead. They're in a locked room. All of a sudden, he appears to them. I don't know about you, but I would have been scared to death. Here is this man. He's standing in front of me. He's alive, and I know I saw him crucified and buried. And he would have, in essence, said, how you guys doing? You need some inner peace. And I imagine they did. Next time you greet a friend in Hebrew or say shalom or how are you, remember that it's more than a casual greeting. You're speaking a blessing and wish well-being on others. Shalom. How do we get it? Can we have it today? Can we have that level of peace and contentment today? We can. Not perfectly. Until the Lord returns, we won't have perfect peace. But as followers of his, that's what he wants us to have. He wants us to have peace even when things around us seem to be falling apart. And we can. The Bible speaks of three kinds of peace. And I'm going to mention four. But the peace that we have, the peace that the world seeks, starts in one place. It starts when we have peace with God. The reason people don't have peace is they look for peace in all the wrong places. They're looking for peace in a relationship. They're looking for peace in money. They're looking for peace in a pill bottle or an alcohol bottle or in entertainment. Or wherever it is, people go to look for peace, and they don't find no peace there. They might find some momentary happiness, but there's no true peace there. There is never can there be true peace until there is peace with God. That's where it starts. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, said this in Romans 5 and 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith. There's that word justified. Dealt with that extensively a few chapters ago in our modern vernacular. Therefore, having been saved. You've been saved by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where peace begins. That's where true peace 
is found. Because something that we don't hear a lot about, because we don't like to hear it, is that if you're here today and you're separated from Christ, you've never surrendered yourself to God through Christ Jesus, you're his enemy. Ooh, I don't like the sounds of that. James will tell us about more about that a little bit later. You're his enemy. He didn't make you his enemy. You made him his enemy. The scripture says he would that none would perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge of him. Paul also writing to church at Rome in verse 10 said, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Jesus would say, and Tammy, you don't have this scripture in John 3, 36. He would go on to say, look, if you have me, you have eternal life. If you don't, you don't have life, and the wrath of God abides on you. Imagine going up to your lost friends or someone and saying, the wrath of God is resting on you. What? But that's what the scripture, we're enemies, his wrath rests on But he doesn't want it. That wrath was poured out at that cross on his son. And all we have to do is come receive it. But until then, we make ourselves enemies of God. But he wants us to come and have peace with him so we can have what real peace is. Jesus telling his disciples in John 14 and 27, Peace I leave with you. Shalom I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives it. Do I give it to you? The world will never give you true lasting peace. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Peace begins with the peace with God. After we have peace with God, then we can begin to experience the peace of God. And that's what people are really seeking. That's true peace, is the peace of God. The most common and well-known scripture concerning the peace of God is found in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Paul, writing to Philippi, the church at Philippi, he said, Be anxious. Many translations say, Don't worry about anything. Do you worry? I worry. We worry. We worry. But he says, don't be anxious for nothing. But in everything, what's what's troubling you today? Something's troubling you, I'm sure. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God. And there it is. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, I asked Brother Matt and the team to sing that song, Firm Foundation, today because it says in there, I have peace that makes no sense. When your life is built on Christ, when your trust is in Him, even when things get chaotic, even when things all around you seem to be crashing around, sometimes there's just a peace that comes in. You, you won't even understand it. Why not I worried to death about this thing? I should be. But the Holy Spirit begins to usher in that peace. And it begins to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Will you still be concerned? Yes. Will there still be things that trouble you? Yes. But there's just a deep sense that it's going to be okay. Because as that song says, my life is in His hands. Lord, my life is in Your hands. And it says in Your faithful hands. God's faithful. He's faithful. And when we have peace with God, we can begin to experience the peace of God. Now, as I was thinking through this, what I add is is peace with God, the peace of God. you got to have peace with yourself. 
You've got to receive God's forgiveness. You've got to understand who you are in Christ and who he is in you. Because if the devil can keep your spirit stirred up all the time, if he can keep you thinking all the time that you're not good enough, you've been too bad. You know, I think sometimes we think that the reason people don't come to the Lord is because they feel like they don't need him. What do I need him for? And, And that is a large population. I've asked many people at the time, how's your relationship with Christ? I'm good. I get that a lot. I'm good. But they're not good. The Bible even says, Jesus even said, there's none good. And that's, that's the saying, like, I don't need this. But here's what, I, what troubles me most, and I experienced this recently. There's a large group of people out there. I, I, had, a, I had a Durham firefighter tell me this in the gym one time. God can't forgive me. I've been too bad. You don't know the things I've done. We don't realize how many people out there live under that type of oppression. And it's sad. It is sad. And so maybe you're here today and you're one of those, you've learned to have to learn peace with yourself and who you are in Christ and who he is in you. Peace with God, peace of God, peace with ourselves. And then the last piece that the Bible speaks of is peace with others. We're to have peace with others. There's many scriptures that speak to that. I've chosen Romans 12 and 18. It says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. We're not to be the ones stirring up something all the time. We're not the ones to be stirring up something all the time. I personally believe that Israel would like to live at peace with Hamas and Iran, but they can't. There's people maybe you would like to live at peace with. There's people, there's, we'd like to have peace with all kinds of people, but sometimes we can't because they don't allow us to live at peace with them. But one day when the Prince of Peace returns, we will live at peace with everyone. But as much as it depends on us, we're to live peaceably with, with all men. And you know, Paul would go on in, in 1 Corinthians. He would tell the church at Corinth in this, in 1 Corinthians Three verses 1 through 4. He would say these strifes and fusses and things that we bicker about in the church, you know what's a sign of it? It's a sign of spiritual immaturity. It's a sign of spiritual immaturity. Paul would say, and I, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're not able. For you're still carnal. For there are envy, strife, divisions among you. Are you not carnal? And behaving like mere men. For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Paulus, are you not carnal? And we see so much bickering sometimes amongst believers over things, honestly, church, that really don't matter. In light of eternity, things that really don't matter. So you say, well, Larry, what, what has that got to do with, with this text of James? Well, he describes what godly wisdom looks like, how it's peaceful, gentle, willing to yield, and how we're supposed to be sown in righteousness. But clearly something's missing to his hearers because that prompts uh, James in to ask another question. You know, he asked a question when he was talking about wisdom. He said, who's wise among you? Well, this leads him right into the question, to the problem. He asked a question. He said, where do wars and fights come from among you? Let me ask you something. When's the last time you've been in a fuss or an argument with someone? 
When's the last time you've been in a fuss or an argument with your wife, your husband? What was it about? Don't answer it. I, uh, I Google the top five reasons that couples fight. And somebody tell me, get somebody throw out one. Money. I thought that'd be number one. It wasn't. In this particular study, I think you can find some, some variations in these things. But money was number two. Money. One more? Say it again. Disagreement? Well, let, let, me, let me give them to you. So free time was number one. I thought that was a little interesting. Money, free time, money. Housework. I'm surprised y'all didn't come up with that one. Especially you men. You better go home and get you a vacuum and get you a broom. Get busy. Physical intimacy. You know, I, I, I found another study in there that talked about the connection between housework and physical intimacy. So now, now, man, I bet you will go home and get you a vacuum and a broom. And extended family. I know you don't have any fusses with mother-in-laws and father-in-laws and daughter-in-laws. No, no, no in-law problems. But here's the thing, church. If we're honest, those fusses that we have with folks, they're not about that. They're typically about a deeper, something deeper that we're trying to satisfy. It's about something else. And, but we don't want to get to the root of those problems. Christ always wants to root out those problems. I actually looked it up in the church. The things that, that uh, the, the top reasons for conflict in the church. This was in 14, and I think these can vary as well. Top five reasons. The corporate worship time has changed. Members disagree on how to deal with a pastor or staff member involved in moral failure. A number of members complain about the length of the worship services. There is a lack of clarity and disagreement about who makes decisions. And lastly, which I, I would have thought this would have been higher, and it, even the, uh, Tom Rainier who did this article said that years ago it would have been higher. The conflict over worship style is still present, Brother Matt. So... We fuss and fight. And James asked, what are, what are you fussing over? Why, why are you fussing? And then he says this, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Is that where not the fusses and the fights really come for? We want it our way. We want what we want. The word he uses there for desires, the Greek word there, we get our English word from, for hedonism. Hedonism. It's a doctrine that pleasure or happiness is the highest goal. I, I think that really describes our culture in a lot of ways. A culture that's seeking pleasure and desires to fulfill their own self-wants, to put their needs above everyone else's needs. It's all about me and what I want. It is self-centeredness. It's misplaced desires. He said they war with our members. And just as much churches as there was three types of peace, I will tell you that as a believer, when you come to faith in Christ, you're in a perpetual, ongoing war. You're in a war. You're in a spiritual battle. You're in a spiritual battle. And we war with three things. We war with the devil. We war with the enemy of our soul. We war with the world. 
not people. The system, when you, hear the, when you see the word world in the scripture, it is the systems of the world that are controlled by Satan. And the things that glorify the things that are opposed to God and the things of God's word. We see that. You see that. You may be seeing that even some in your workplace where you're having to find this balance between not glorifying things that your workplace may want you to and staying true to what you believe in the scriptures. We war. We war with the devil. We war with the world. And then we war with the flesh. That flesh wells up in us sometimes. Those desires that the Bible says that are not for us, we war with those. But we're more than conquerors. It's an ongoing battle. But I know he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. I know I'm going to overcome these wars. Sometimes it gets rough. Sometimes I feel like I'm losing. But I know I'm not. Sometimes I feel like I'm losing and then I come on a Wednesday night and God reminds me that I'm winning and He reminds me who I am in Him and He reminds me He's not left me. He's not forsaken me. He's still with me. I'm still His son. You're still His daughter. You're in those words. And I get that peace back that passes all understanding. But there's a war. And James said they war with our members. It results in covetousness. One of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not covet. Covetousness is really about a discontented heart. It's never satisfied. It's the heart that is never satisfied. And if you have a heart that's never satisfied, you're never satisfied in your marriage, you're never satisfied in your workplace, you're never satisfied in your church, and there's people like that. I've met some like that. I I took a lot of leadership classes in my career in law enforcement. And years ago, I took one, and I I never forgot this acronym that they gave. WSMs. They said every organization will have WSMs. Whining, snibbling, malcontents. It doesn't matter what you give them, what position you put them in, how much money they have. You can give them everything they want, and they'll be happy for about a day. And then they're going to be whining and they're going to be snibbling and they'll be fussing and fighting about something else. You know people like that? There are people like that. But here's the thing. It's not about that. Something is missing deep down in that heart. And they're trying to fill it with things that don't matter. James says you can even pray about it. He said, look, you even come in and you're praying. First of all, you, have, you don't have because you don't ask. And then when you do ask, when you do pray, you ask amiss. And it, you know, it said that you might spend it on your desires. You ask amiss. I'm afraid that so many people come, when they come to the Lord, when they come to a, finally come to a time of prayer, they come because they need something from Christ. They need Him to do something in their lives. Thank God that that's what brought them there. But you know what? I want him to hear my voice, not just when I'm in need. I don't want to come to him just when I have a need. I want him to come to him to praise him and adore him. Prayer is hard. How many of you, by raise your hand, would say you've had a prayer life and it's hard? Prayer life, prayer's hard. It is hard. And you may go into your prayer closet, and I don't know if you have one. You may come on Friday night prayer. You don't feel like it. You don't even know where to begin. I don't even know where to start, Lord. 
There's a little acronym that's pretty well known out in Christian circles. Maybe you've heard it before, maybe you hadn't. You can write it down on your sheet. ACTS, A-C-T-S, A-C-T-S. So if you come into the presence of the Lord to pray, think about this acronym and start with the A. Don't come to him with the shopping list first. Come to him with the A, the adoration. Come adoring who he is. King of kings, Lord of lords, maker of heaven and earth. Just spend a little time adoring who he is. If if you're a mom or a dad this morning, when your kids were little, did you always want them just to come run to you when they wanted something? Didn't you love for them to just come sit in your lap or hug your neck? And even you like that even when you get older. Just to hug your neck and say, I want you to know I love you. That matters. That, that's, that's really all you want, isn't it? You know, that's what God wants from his children. He wants you to know that, 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 that you love him. That you know. He knows what you're in need of. He knows what I'm in need of. He wants you to know that you love him. Adore him. Confession. Confession. When's the last time you got serious with God about confession? I think we're quick to confess. The Lord, forgive our nation of this and forgive our nation of that. When's the last time you got down on your knees and said, God, forgive me. Forgive me of the lust of my heart, the pride of my life. I've done some things. I've said some things this week, this month, whatever. I shouldn't have. Lord, forgive me. The Bible says if We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Something about confession. And then thanksgiving. Then thanksgiving. Lord, thank you. You know what I thank him for most of the time? Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. That as a 13-year-old boy at at East Durham Church of God, I felt the tug of your spirit. And I surrendered my life to you. And it's been a journey since then. But I've always known who he was. I've always felt the tug of his spirit. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. And there's nothing like intimacy with him and being in his presence. Thank you for that. And you know what I think, church? You know what I found? If you come to this sincerely, you come to this acronym sincerely, you, you, you really have a time of adoration, a true time of confession, a true, true time of thanksgiving. By the time you get to the S, the supplication, what it is you maybe originally came to him for, because you had a need, you're like, Lord, I don't need that after all. I got just what I needed right now, and that was your presence. And there begins to be an intimacy flowing between you and him. He knows what you need. You may not even ask for it anymore. You may not even feel like you need it anymore, but that's where he begins to move into your life. Because you have humbled yourself before his great presence. But then he goes on and he says, hey, you're adulterers and adulteresses. James referring back to the Old Testament. God saw himself as a marriage relationship with the nation of Israel. And when they would worship foreign gods, he would accuse them of harlotry. He would accuse them of being adulterous. And James says, look, when we try to be friends with the world, when we try to follow the world's customs and follow the world's systems... We make ourselves an enemy of God. We make ourselves an enemy of God. But you know, in all that, I'm thankful for verses 5 and verses 6. 
I'm thankful for verses 5 and verses 6. Because you may be here this morning, this may, this may be where you are. Maybe this is where you've been, maybe this is where you are. There's been fussing, there's been fighting, your, your, your heart's desires hadn't been in the right place, all kinds of things going on. But he says in verse 5, Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, The Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. And I still remember what Chris Trueworthy said that Wednesday night. He said, we don't understand how jealous God is for us. We don't understand the love that he has for us. And so when we get out and we, and we start messing around, and Israel is with foreign gods, and today it's with the world system, he is jealous for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He knows what awaits you on the other side of that, and the Spirit yearns for you to come back to him and not be caught up in that garbage because he knows the end result of it. And you as his son and his daughter, he don't want to see you suffer the consequences that you'll suffer if you stay into that. And in verse 6 he says, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. We get out there, we try to do it our way, we fuss, we fight, we, we have things warring within our own members. We covet, we, we pray with wrong motives at times. Our intimacy starts to wane like mine did. But then just when you need it the most, he gives more grace. Maybe you felt like in your life, maybe you felt like sin is just in control. Maybe it's been abounding. The scripture says where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Grace will overcome it every time if you'll just come back to the well. And that spirit is yearning and you feel it pulling at you. Maybe you drifted away a little bit. He's saying, come back to the well. I will give you more grace. And that's what James is saying to his hearers. He was a pastor. And I think he had some people in his church that were fussing and fighting and having divisions over things that didn't matter. They seemed to be more concerned with the world and seemed to be more enamored by the things of the world than the things of God. There was covetousness going on. But he said, Come back, because God will give you grace. I'm going to ask Matt and the team to come forward. I will finish this next week. I'm going to ask everyone in the building to stand. If you're here this morning, maybe, maybe some of the things I talked about described you. And maybe you sp feel that spirit yearning, pulling at you. He wants to give you grace. You hear you've never accepted Christ. You're separated from him. The Bible says you're an enemy of God. He don't want to be your enemy. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your friend. And everything you need for that has been accomplished on the cross. But he does the work. The Spirit does the work. That's what yearns. That's what pulls at you. So if you're here this morning and you're separated from the Lord, you don't know Him as a personal Savior, or there's some brokenness in your life, there's something going on in your life, and you say, I just need to spend a little bit of time in the altar. I want someone to come and pray with me. The altar's open. This altar's open.
Lord, I thank you for your presence that's in this place. I thank you that you know what we need, Lord, when we need it. I thank you, God, that you give more grace. And I pray, Lord, if there's one here that you're dealing with, Lord, that they won't let pride or worry or what someone thinks get in the way of the blessing that you want to give them. just one more moment okay we're going to end the service a little bit different today a couple weeks ago I, I, I challenged you all to for those who maybe were not to get involved with helping with the ministries of the church and so many of you responded but this morning what I want to do I want to recognize those uh, who work in ministries in our church. You know, before I um, got involved in the administration or in church like I did, I, I used to think that these things that happen in church, they just happen. I mean, this stuff just happens. But it doesn't. There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of ministry that happens that maybe you never see. And so what I wanted to do this morning is, is recognize everyone who works in a ministry uh, within this church. And so I was not going to dare call names. I know better than that. Okay, so this is going to be a, on you. I'm going to call out some ministries. And what I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask as I call these out, if you would come and stand down in front of the altar right here, and you can uh, just uh, face out. Uh, and if you are involved in any of these, actively involved in any of these ministries now, if you will come down and stand. Youth ministry, which includes children, nursery, Wednesday night, Praise and worship, singers, sound, multimedia, greeters, ushers, current board members, benevolence committee, pulpit ministry, minister, or teacher. And I don't think I missed one there, but I want to ask everyone who will to come along the front. What I want to do, I, we have something from the church for each one of you, and Tammy, Tammy's bringing it. And um, I'm just going to go down and just, just shake your hand and thank these folks for what they do for us. But what I want to do, I want to ask everyone in here right now, if you just give all these folks a round of applause for what they do. Okay, you can be seated. I'm going um, to ask uh, Sister Carol to come up here. Sister Carol, would you come up here? Help her up, Danny. And Michael and Christy to come up. Yeah, y'all can be seated, yeah. And is Christy with you, Michael? Is Christy with you? That's fine, that's fine. Um, what, what we also wanted to do as a church, we wanted to recognize um, Brother Michael and Sister Christy. Uh, specifically. Um, I can't overstate what all he does here. I mean, you really can't. Uh, I'm here during the week, and, it, and for those of you who run ministries, I don't know how many times you've called him and said, we have a problem with the computer, and Michael comes and fixes it. We got to get this on the screen, and Michael comes and fixes it. And then he preaches in the pulpit, and then he teaches our youth, and then he helps with the young kids, and he, and he organizes the ministry. And then to kick that off, we got Christy, who sings on the praise and worship team, and 
they just do a lot for us. And, and, and I just want to let them know how much I appreciate them. And, and we have something for him, for our church, for all that they do. And let you know, Brother Michael, uh, we love you and Sister Christy. And then I just wanted to say to Sister Carol, um, this is 54 years, and then ever how long your dad pastored the church, this is the result of 54 years of faithfulness to God. And there's a legacy that's been left here that's going to be built upon, and I want you and Pastor Don to know we'll never forget the legacy that has been here uh, and the legacy and the foundation that you guys have laid. And I don't know if Pastor Don's watching, but we love you, Pastor Don. And uh, we're excited about the future of our church and building on the legacy and the foundation of Christ that has been laid in this church. God bless you. I think this is the greatest bunch of people in the world. <laughs> That's my opinion anyway. They don't get better than you guys. But we can't leave today without honoring our pastor. Pastor Larry has done an awesome job of stepping in place. And I am so grateful that God raised him up and that he's here. And I, I just can't say enough about his leadership, his preaching ability, and everything that he has done for Bethel has been amazing. Thank you, Pastor Larry and Tammy. Thank you all. You know, I think what we like to see as leaders as a church is we just love to see people grow in the Lord. And we've watched so many people come in recently and even through the years and grow in their Lord and in, in their walk with the Lord and then be able to walk with each other in, in, in hard times. You know, so you, you all, there's many in this church just walk with me through some pretty difficult times, some death of, you know, a, a mother and a mother-in-law and a father-in-law and and, uh, it's, you know, I don't, I don't know how people walk through the issues of life without a good local body of believers. And uh, Bethel Christian Center is a strong body of believers. And we have a leadership team here in this church now that doesn't have an ulterior motive. I've heard tales, that not just in this church, but other church, where there's what I just talked about with James, where there's fighting and fussing over little things and people are jockeying for position and power. I can tell you, I don't see that here. I don't see that here. I see this as a church of people, unified believers who love each other and are trying to help each other to grow, grow closer to the Lord and walk out through the affairs of life. I don't know what tomorrow holds for me. You don't know what tomorrow holds for you. But I know this, no matter what happens, my faith is in Christ. He's my firm foundation. And I can walk through those doors of Bethel Christian Center and have people who will love me and help me walk through whatever it is I face. I know that. And if you've got that, you can face anything. You can face anything. Lord, we thank you for this day. God, I do thank you for each person, Lord, who works in this church to make it what it is. God, I, I'm, I'm excited about the future of Bethel. Lord, what you have for this church. And Lord, uh, I want to just say thank you again for your presence here and for every person who's here and for what they do. And we glorify and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great day.